Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 32, jQuery to Vue.js. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? Yeah, hey, Matt. Uh, So this week has been just pure mind-boggling client work, pretty much. Uh, Just crazy, crazy deadline coming up, trying to get everything done. Had to pivot a couple times, a little throwback to our last episode on the pivoting. Um, but yeah, just literally trying to project manage, develop, uh, teach and everything at the same time. So lots of, uh, lots of productivity stuff, actually. I think after I, we wrap one of the couple of these projects up, we'll probably do another episode on productivity and productivity tools. That's in my, in my thought process here, because I've been, I've been going pretty ham with the, uh, to-do lists and the Kanban boards on Jira. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of different project management tools. They've all been helping quite a bit. Some of them, not so much. Um, probably a good amount of insight on that, but that's about it. Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, so same sort of deal. Uh, not so serious of a deadline, but we have um, a lot of projects kind of coming to the review close, if you will. So we have a lot of stuff that's kind of mostly de- been developed. Like I've pretty much finished a few websites uh, while you've been working on this one larger project. And, um, Basically now in the stage of communicating with clients, you know, getting them to actually test it out, making sure the UX is good for them, making sure they understand stuff, uh, filling in any gaps, you know, fixing bugs, that type of thing, um, and uh, hopefully get those projects actually launched uh, within the next week or two here. But uh, most of the work's done on them, which is very good. Um, I've also... I've also started working on, or I started planning rather, uh, to actually start looking into getting some of that offline functionality working on NoBS News, like I mentioned last week. Uh, so once these projects, you know, kind of clear out, or at least when the clients are reviewing them and I have a spare moment, I'm going to start digging into service workers and how all that works and hopefully getting something done in that department. But before we jump into this episode, as always, we're going to go over the segments. So this is a mic-heavy episode, actually. Uh, segment number one, the state of jQuery. Segment number two, from jQuery to view. And both of those are going to be run by Mike. And then I'm going to kind of go into the uh, the other segments here today. So uh, our recurring or our occasional recurring segment, useful resource. Uh, this time it's about meta tags. You know, learn about that when we get there, as well as a very long, actually about a page long here, web news, laser focused in a scatterbrained industry. So hopefully that uh, title piques your interest there. So we're going to pass it over to Mike there for segment number one. All right. Uh, so let's get right into it. Segment number one, state of jQuery. So uh, just going to give a quick overview of what jQuery is. Uh, so jQuery is a JavaScript library, mainly targeted at HTML document traversal, document manipulation, event handling, uh, animations, uh, with a little asterisk there, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, and Ajax requests. So uh, it's meant, like the whole point of jQuery was to make it so that your code was a little bit easier to digest and a little bit easier to write. It w- it kind of shortened, it put a lot of shorthands for a lot of the more uh, robust, uh, more uh, like multi-line JavaScript, native JavaScript function- functions, but maybe like a few years back. Um, so essentially it's meant to be something like assigning event listeners uh, to all the elements on the, of the same class uh, it's meant for creating DOM elements such as divs and uh, spans and stuff like that dynamically through JavaScript. Um, it's meant to use the you know the dollar sign dot ajax shorthand to interact with your API server calls. So you know a, a way for you to get um, get and receive server calls and interact with an API. Um, and the main theoretical advantages of something like a jQuery were supposed to be the code becoming easier to read. Uh, you get to write less code. Uh, and then one thing that kind of arose because it was such a stable framework and such a stable, uh, more, more more a library than a framework actually over the years is that it became very standard for a developer and it, the familiarity started to rise. So what that means is that a lot of developers started knowing jQuery and started really delving deep into jQuery. So when you hired someone or when you had a senior developer, they usually knew jQuery really well and it made their development process a lot faster. So um, lots of developers 
like have used jQuery for years and can write it without looking at documentation. Uh, and it, it made it made it so that switching to any other library like jQuery uh, was kind of a very time intensive and a costly venture uh, for a really long time due to its dominance. So jQuery has now been around for over a decade, actually. So it's been around since 2006. As with everything in our field, like, you know, with all the new technologies coming out, Gatsby, Vue, React, like constantly evolving, uh, it has started to see an kind of, kind of be seen as an ancient technology. And I wouldn't agree with that kind of labeling. Like it's, you know, people are saying it's useless and people are saying that like you should just never, never use it anymore. Um, I'm not of that kind of mindset, but I do see having used it for the better part of my web development career. I do see its pitfalls and I do see why the transition to something else is happening. So something that is a pitfall or some of the reasons that it is kind of being phased out right now would be one of the things is the transitions. So the fade ins, the fades outs, the the animations that jQuery provides for your elements are not very well optimized. They're not using, they're not piggybacking on CSS transitions or animations. They're actually doing their own JavaScript functionality uh, behind the scenes. And it's, it looks kind of janky sometimes, honestly. Like when you do a fade out or a fade in, um, you can try it, compare it to a transition uh, display none um, and and see the the difference in how smooth the transition is compared to the fade out of the, uh, of the jQuery animation. The other thing is, is that large transversal, so doing a large transversal of a DOM element uh, can be often seen as bulky and it can often lead to higher execution times, especially in comparison to native JavaScript solutions. Uh, so you're adding that level of complexity where sometimes it's not needed and you're adding that level of like just, just the amount of time that a function needs to take because it's very, you know, the jQuery code is very universal. Uh, it's built so that it supports, you know, IE five or six, like it's built to, so it supports a really old uh, framework. So it has to use some, some older technologies. And in that way, it kind of gimps itself uh, to the point where it's it's not as efficient as just using the native JavaScript solution. And on that topic, uh, as JavaScript has grown up over this past decade, the JavaScript APIs have improved to the point where it a lot of the functionality of jQuery is now seen in native JavaScript. So not... The, it becomes very hard to recommend new developer. And I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end, but it becomes really hard to recommend to a new developer to go into jQuery when JavaScript has almost all, if not more of the functionality and the ease of use aspects to it now with, uh, you know, ES6 and the, the support it's getting and the, how it's evolving over time. Um, so those really are the main reasons uh, to not, I would say, use uh, jQuery. Uh, and with the emergence of large JavaScript frameworks like React, like Angular, like Vue, uh, jQuery has really lost a lot of ground uh, as as an in, in, because it doesn't integrate with these frameworks very well. It is possible to integrate jQuery into one of these frameworks. Like if you have an old school developer that's working on one section of your framework and he's like, I need jQuery 100%. Like it, there's no way I can get around without jQuery because that's just my, you know, my mindset, it is possible to integrate jQuery, uh, even on a component to component basis in Vue.js. And maybe I'll do a guide on that at some point. Uh, I'm not a big proponent of it because, um, at, as it, it's seen, it, it's a very resource costly and a redundant thing. So like, it's like you're, you're integrating a system where it's the actual solution is already in place. So Vue.js handles a lot of the stuff that jQuery does better than jQuery itself. And the reason you're using Vue.js is you want to get get out of the way of using a, a native JavaScript or a jQuery solution. So why, you know, put it back into the Vue.js and add another whole other framework on top or a whole other library on top of your Vue.js installation? It doesn't... It doesn't fully make sense unless you're talking about it from literally a familiarity kind of standpoint where you just need to have it to create that, that project as fast as possible. Um, so... With that, it kind of perfectly segues into our next segment. I'll open it up to Matt if he has any comments on just straight jQuery, uh, if he has any experience that he wants to share, anything like that. Well, one of the things that, that kind of hit home there was the fact that you mentioned, like, if you, know, you have an older developer, and I mean, older is in, like, has been in the in the industry maybe for, let's say, five plus years. Um, 
But what's super interesting about that is I remember when we first started, uh, I can't remember exactly what app it was or what, what website it was, but I needed to do an Ajax request for something. And I remember I was, I had, you know, made the whole page up. I was still doing mostly UI stuff back then. So I made the whole UI, did all the transitions, made it all look nice, whatever. And then I was like, okay, I need to fill in my table with, I think it was dynamic data. And I remember just being like, okay, well, I already have a bunch of these transitions and stuff done uh, with jQuery. I'm like, or with uh, JavaScript, I'm like, I'm just going to go and do like an Ajax request with JavaScript. I'll go look that up. And everybody I remember, you know, for the most part on Stack Overflow and stuff back then was like really hammer, like really hammered down on the fact that they really, really wanted uh, the, like they really, really wanted everyone to just use jQuery. Like, oh, it's just easier to use jQuery. Just use jQuery. Just use jQuery. And I was like, no, like I'm already done, you know, several lines, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was hundreds of lines or what it was. It was a pretty simple web page, but you know, I've already done most of this in, in JavaScript. I'm not going to just randomly also import jQuery just to do a, an Ajax call. And I really think that that mentality is probably the biggest change that we've seen in probably the last three, four years, I, I'd estimate that before it was everything was just like oh just use jquery just use jquery and sure you'll probably still hear that today but you're not hearing it you know half as much and you are starting to see those admittedly clickbaity at sometimes you know is jquery dead or jquery's dead that type of stuff you know but there's a lot of stuff that's still using jquery you know if you want to learn it go ahead it's not going to be gone tomorrow but you know learning javascript is a really good base and in my opinion is kind of a better thing and i think the mentality in general in the industry is starting to turn to that and starting to turn to things like something newer, like Vue. And so it's just kind of an interesting take on just something as simple as something as simple as like a UI change. People, even a few years ago, were so adamant on using jQuery. So th- that's just kind of my, my two bits. I'm sure that anyone who's been learning over the last couple of years has probably experienced the same thing on Stack Overflow. Yeah, and for sure, like that's that's kind of been my experience as well. Uh, and we like like we've said multiple times in, throughout this podcast, we've uh, we've we started without jQuery, and we were very, we were actually initially very adamant against using jQuery because we wanted to learn as much of the core basic JavaScript behind it as much as we could before we had to use it. I mean, it came to a point where I had to like to integrate with the customer's project. I had to use jQuery, and I've been using it quite a bit ever since. I still use it on some older projects, uh, which is why I don't really like, I, I don't fully believe like the whole rhetoric of is jQuery dead in 2018 or 2019? Uh, it's not dead, I would say, but it's one of those things where um, a lot of people are still using it. It probably still takes up a very large percentage of the web, of the web compared to something like a like a Vue or even React. Like there's probably more jQuery run sites or jQuery integrated sites than there are React sites in my opinion. Uh, and this is an opinion. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but the thing is, is that when you're a new developer and you're looking forward, what do you do? Like, do you, should you learn the, you know, the thing that is run, powering most of the web or should you learn what the thing that will be powering the web when you're going to be working there? Um, and th- that's kind of the balance that you have to come up with. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of successful developers even right now that if they went fully into jQuery, they'd find a job that, you know, is supporting older code in jQuery and they'd be doing really well. That's not to say that that's not possible, but it depends on what you want to, how you want to approach your career. So with that, I'm going to move on to the segment number two, uh, from jQuery to Vue. So as with anything new, it will take some time to adapt to a new way of developing. So if you're a jQuery developer by trade and or if you're just a straight JavaScript developer by trade, uh, it will take some time to go from something like jQuery to a full-on framework-based Vue.js workflow. Um, There are key differences with how jQuery handles things and how Vue does. Uh, examples, like just quick quick examples, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit of technical talk here. Uh, so just just stay with me. Uh, but here's, you know, very quick examples of the di- some very specific differences between the two. So assigning a function to a DOM element, such as a div or a button. In jQuery, assigning a function is done in the script tag by using, you know, a selector. So you're using a dollar sign with brackets. And inside of that, you're either, you know, selecting it by all the classes or selecting it by a single ID, however you do it. So you're using a selector to select the classes in the script tag and then extending it with a with their class dot click or dot change, whatever you want to, whatever you're like, you're the event you're looking for to add to that button or, or, or that div. 
And then in that dot change or dot click, you're passing in a function to do something in that function. Uh, and then you're doing whatever you need to do on that click, either, you know, making the button active and go navigating to the next page, whatever you want to do in that function uh, you're, you're, you're doing in there. And that's all done through the JavaScript section. Uh, it's all it's all done in the script tags. And it's it's using these like selector, uh, these dollar sign selectors or the if you're using native JavaScript, you're using, you know, document dot get element by ID or dot get element by class name, however you want to do it. It's the same thing. So in view, we take a different approach. So in view, uh, you're doing it a lot. A lot of your assigning is done in the DOM uh, slash template section. And you're, it's very much tied to the actual div element that you're creating or the whatever element that you're creating doesn't have to be a div, of course. Uh, what you do is you can assign them to any event what you want. So again, like a dot click or a dot or a, a change event or a click event, uh, you're just doing it a little bit differently. The syntax for it is a quick at click and then equal to and and in quotes there, you would put the method name that you want to run. Methods are a little bit different than functions. They are the same, like methods are essentially the same as function, but method is registered in the view instance. Uh, it, and you're kind of, you're, you can use it, you can pass something into a method, you can use a method without passing into it. So es essentially, you just declare your method in the view in instance, and then you use it inside of the DOM element, as opposed to going in the jQuery way, where you in the script tags in the actual JavaScript section, that's where you assign and use. So that's a, that, that's one major difference. Another one is transitions and animations. Like I said before, the transitions in jQuery were kind of... Uh, now are seen as janky. Uh, there's a fade in and a fade out uh, transitions that can be accessed through again the dot class extenders. So you you know you 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 get your selector. You, you select you select your element your by class or ID like I mentioned before, uh, and then you add a dot fade in and you can pass some properties into the fade in uh, f for that. So that you kind of activate it all from your JavaScript, again, your script tag section to be able to fade in, fade out. Uh, there's plenty of other animations that I'm not remembering right now that I've used. Uh, I think there's even a slide animation or something like that. But um, essentially, yeah, again, jQuery very much done in the, in the JavaScript uh, script tag side. Uh, View has a little bit different where you actually can put a transition tag around the element that you want to transition. So if you have a div that needs to be that needs to fade in, uh, if it's hidden or not hidden, uh, you can put the transition tags around it, name your transition, uh, something inside of the transition tags, put it, give it a name. And then in your CSS, you can go in and actually using that name, create a CSS class with a transition inside of it. And so it knows when you do something inside of this transition tag, whether it be a VF statement that shows, that shows or hides an element, um, or switching between elements, it knows that whenever you're doing something with view inside of that transition tag, it's going to run this transition on it. And it can be a transition actually, or it can be an animation. So again, it's binding it to a native CSS transition or animation, which runs way better than a, a jQuery animation, in my opinion, or actually, an, it's not even an opinion, it's not subjective, it's, it's very much objective in this case, it just looks better, it runs at a higher FPS. Um, so the next thing is adding and removing classes conditionally or programmatically from a DOM element. Uh, so in jQuery, it's done by, uh, again, using the selector, the dollar sign selector by class name or by ID uh, in the J in the JavaScript or the, the script section. Um, you, you find your elements and then what you do is you can, again, extend it with a dot class extender. Uh, the dot class extenders in jQuery are dot add class or dot remove class. And then in brackets, you can put the, the string of the class that you want to remove um, or, or add. So it's very prog programmatic. Uh, you can kind of, you know, get all your elements in one in one quick go with a dollar sign and with with the dollar sign selector and then getting a class name. It'll it'll put all your elements in there and then you can remove the, a class from all the elements or you can do it by ID and get only one one ID one one element back and remove a class from that ID specifically. It's very um, it's very extensive. I I've been using it for so long that it kind of it took me a little bit while actually to switch to the Vue.js method. Uh, so the Vue.js method is a little bit different where again you you're in the DOM in the template HTML tags and you're binding a class to each element. So when you're actually writing your div tag, 
you use the typical view notate the colon notation to bind a class so colon class and inside of there on each element you need a conditional class like an active class let's say well, let's give an example of what we're trying to do so we want a div to be to have an active class when it's clicked on or when it's selected so that it uh, you know when it's active it shines blue or whatever you however you want it so it you need an active class to appear and disappear based on if it's selected or not uh, so in view, what you would do is you would literally have a div and inside that div, you would bind it a class with the colon, select the colon notation, have a class and inside inside of the actual selector inside of the actual, you know, like, you know, equal quotes, uh, you would you would put a conditional statement and the conditional statement would look something like this active, which is your class name, colon is active, which is the binding of a variable or data property, your Vue.js data property. So is active is your Vue.js data property that you're kind of toggling. It can be however, whatever you want it to be, but it, typically you want it to be a Boolean, which is true or false. Um, and it can be activated by a method. It can be activated by a function of a, of a different thing. So you click on one element and this is active. Let's say it toggles from true to false or false to, false to true. And as soon as it becomes true, the is active variable uh, it automatically activates the active class because that's how this conditionality, how this condition statement works inside of the view element. Uh, so again, that's active. You, you have an inside of, uh, you know, curly brackets, you're kind of making a function inside of there. Uh, you're doing an active colon is active binding the active class. So that's the class name that you want to a variable that you can control programmatically called is active, make it true or false based on that, it'll be on or off kind of thing. So this is a very uh, quick, quick way of like just noting the differences. And there, there are considerably more differences between between the two. I mean, quote, we're comparing a library and a framework. Obviously, there's going to be major differences when you're doing that. But um, th those are some of the main differences that I've run across. Uh, there's also other differences like Ajax requests are handled completely differently. In Vue, uh, they have a native library called Axios. Uh, it handles Ajax requests a little bit different, differently with a dot then kind of promise method. Um, and then there's also how, how to create dynamic DOM elements. Uh, Vue.js is built around creating, you know, dynamic DOM elements. So it's much easier and much more intuitive to create them. Uh, you do it right in the DOM section, again, using, using some very, uh, particular view code inside of the view HTML code inside of the DOM section. Uh, whereas in jQuery, it's all created in JavaScript and it's much more janky, uh, to create DOM elements, you know, when you want to create element div or something like that. Um, so again, many, many differences. I'm not going to be able to cover all of them here. Uh, actually, one of the reasons that we decided to do this, this episode was because I'm actually writing an article right now where I'm going to be going through in much more detail and with actual code examples of each of these differences. So, uh, or at least, at least a good subsection of them. So you can actually go and check that out when, when we have that released. Um, we'll definitely announce it on the podcast, but yeah, I'm working on that. Hopefully have that out to you as soon as we can. Um, and really, in the end, making the transition from jQuery to Vue is a hands-on experience. It involves a significant amount of work and adapting and learning new skills, but not to say that it's overly difficult. And this comes back to our statement that we consistently make that if you get that good, pure JavaScript base, um, switching between different libraries, frameworks, technologies becomes a lot simpler for you. If you just know J jQuery, um, that's great, obviously, uh, but it's a little bit more difficult to grasp concepts and grasp different frameworks, how they work under the, you know, under the hood and stuff like that, and be able to really understand a framework and get into it without knowing how, you know, J jQuery works. And like, so my, my recommendation as of right now, for someone that's just getting into the develop, like becoming a developer, maybe you're in high school and you're thinking of becoming a developer. I don't think it's worthwhile to go in and pick up jQuery and learn it, um, especially not as a first thing to learn in, inside of uh, JavaScript. I know a lot of people actually started with jQuery before they learned JavaScript. I don't think that that's the correct uh, approach. I think it's more important for you to right now learn J JavaScript first, 
learn the basic concepts of it, become comfortable. The fact that, you know, JavaScript, uh, if that's what you're kind of going for, if you're going for a front end developer, um, you want to know, get, get comfortable with JavaScript and then go to a framework. Uh, and a framework would be, you know, your choice between Vue.js, React, Angular, whatever you want to choose. I'm not going to promote one of them right now. There's many differences, many advantages. There's not really a point in fully comparing them. Just know that there's essentially just the big three. And now it's kind of approaching the big two between Vue.js and React moving forward. But uh, there's plenty of reasons to use both. Um and again, like with with the fact that JavaScript already has most of the features that jQuery brought ten years ago, uh, there's no. It just it becomes kind of irrelevant to learn it unless you have a very specific use case where like you have a friend that works in the industry that has a job for you lined up and but he needs you to know jQuery. Like I can see that kind of that case. Maybe you learning jQuery in that sense, but even then, you're really pigeonholing yourself if you're just going to go straight into jQuery and learn it up and down. I think that I think it will be phased out as the time goes on, um, and it's not as important to learn at this point rather than maybe how it was five or six years ago when we were starting out or four years ago. Um, and that kind of brings brings it to a close on the comparison of the two. Again, uh, stay tuned for that article. I'll be going into a little bit more depth on the comparing view and jQuery. Uh, and yeah, that's that that's it for this for this segment. Uh, I'll pass it off to Matt if he has any comments on it, or to move on to the next one. No, I think I think it's a good idea that you uh, are doing uh, are doing a an article though, because I think a lot of people would want to see the actual code snippets rather than just hear them, which like hearing yeah. them is fine, but like actually seeing them and like, so they can actually copy paste them into their own projects and that type of stuff is definitely a good idea. So, um, good on you for that and, uh, make sure that you uh, stay tuned and I'll be obviously tweeting and all that stuff when that comes out. Uh, once Mike is not so swamped, but in the meantime, uh, let's do the occasional, I, I can't, I keep forgetting the name of this, this segment, the occasional recurring segment, <laughs> uh, useful resource, and this one's about meta tags. So specifically, it's about metatags.io. So metatags.io can help you investigate existing, uh, help you modify or create meta tags for your website across multiple platforms. So you're able to type in a URL, which will pull in all the detected meta tags, such as the photo, the title, and the description. And then from there, you're able to see exactly what your metadata will look like in Google, as well as other popular services, such as Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Slack. If there's something that you need to add or change, you can do that right on the web page. And then when you're done, simply click on the Generate Meta Tags button, and a new snippet of code containing your changes will be generated, so you can paste them into your head tags. So a lot of people might think like, oh, this is like a pretty easy thing. Like you could just look at your own, you could just look at your own head tags. You know, it's just a few tags. You know, why is it, why is it that you're doing this? So one of the reasons why we went and searched this out, and I will actually be using this for future websites that we even make custom is actually because of Webflow. So our specific web case or uh, our specific use case rather was because we've been working a lot on Webflow sites recently. And in Webflow, you're able to set things like a site wide meta tag. Uh, you can also set static ones per page, dynamic ones based on CMS data, or even with a little bit of configuring, you can allow users to edit their own meta tags specifically in the Webflow CMS. If you know how to do that type of configuration. And because there are so many options affecting meta tags in that sort of particular scenario, checking out the metadata uh, in metatags.io really helped us, con you know, actually inspect the dynamic data and see what's working out. Maybe, you know, explain to the customer like, hey, you know, we make this a little bit better. Maybe you should be targeting the stuff. So make sure that they're they're doing it properly. Make sure that you actually configured it properly, making sure everything's working smoothly on the people end, as well as like on the Webflow end, essentially. And it also allows us to check what things look like on a customer's preferred platform. So for example, if they prefer to post on LinkedIn and the images that they're uploading doesn't look good, maybe you need to add another image field to the CMS that, you know, has a little help text that says, hey, maybe you should be doing it in this resolution, that type of stuff. So it's really just like a sanity check. But what I really like about it is that when you do a quick check on, on something, so for example, we have a couple of websites that are pretty old now and they don't have, let's say all of the meta out there. They don't have like all the, the stuff for Facebook, like all the open graph images and that type of thing. You can simply type in that your URL 
get the data that it does detect, you know, maybe the title and description is the only thing you have, then you can put your own image in there. Like you can upload the image right to the, right to the website itself, just so you could see it in a preview form. And then all you do is you can click generate meta tags and it will generate you all the meta tags that you need. And then of course it warns you, you know, Hey, make sure you actually upload your image to your CMS or wherever it's going to be, it's going to live. And then you can just take that copy paste. Boom. It's done. There's no worrying about multiple multiple vendor tags is no worried about oh i forgot this og tag in this certain way it's all organized it's all clean and i will certainly be using it in the future and what's what i really like about it in terms of the ui of this website is the fact that i can easily toggle between them so right now when i want to test a twitter url twitter doesn't at least in my experience twitter doesn't actually pop up with the twitter card so if you want to share a link to something and let's say that particular link is configured properly so that it has an image, you know, the title, the link, etc. All the stuff that Twitter cards are compatible with. If you say want to confirm that before, it doesn't actually pull in a preview like it would on Facebook. Like Facebook generally will actually generate the preview while you're typing. In my experience, it doesn't do that. So I have to go to and it is still an official resource, but it's the Twitter URL card validator, if I remember the name correctly. But right now, like, I'd rather not have to, you know, check on Facebook, then check on this, then check on that. I would rather, when I make a website, especially if it's something like the HTML, all the things website, uh, if I want to go in there and make sure that everything's dynamic, so, you know, I type in a an article title, it automatically pulls that in, it automatically puts in my images, it automatically does that. I'm definitely going to be using this website to check all that and adjusting adjust them as needed just to ensure that everything is working properly. I think that, and also in addition to this, this is really helpful for your customer base as well, because you could easily say like, oh, you know, they only have a Twitter account as a lot of people will, or they only have a Facebook or whatever it is, or maybe they only use a couple of them. You can easily toggle them off in the, in the actual, um, in the interface there, you can just turn off, you know, Slack and all the rest of them. You can just have those two, maybe Facebook and Twitter, and you could just see those and you could even maybe even show your customer and be like, Hey, this is what it should look like. Is this good with you? That type of thing. So it's just a really easy to use application that does like a real simple function, but does it really well. And I just kind of stumbled upon it when I was trying to fix up a customer's metadata. So it's really, it's really killer. Actually. I really do. I really enjoy the interface and it's a really nice little app to have right there. Um, another thing that it also kind of brings to mind is the fact that if you're a UI developer like me, you know, you're, you're kind of plagued by the fact of like, Oh, you know, how many, how many vendor tags should I be including, you know, Moz and WebKit and all that because different browser versions, you know, support it. Oh, it only supports this property. If it, if it's this version and it, you know, it's, you know, you need to put the WebKit tag, but sometimes it accepts the generic one. Well, something like Vue.js will generally put in a lot of those vendor tags for you. And that's kind of what this is doing. So at the end of the day, like for the most part, if I'm working on a new site, let's say even tomorrow, I would just put my title and my meta tags in there or my meta description tag in there. And then I would actually let this thing that, you know, I put up the test site or whatever. I'd let this, this tool detect the website for me, or I could even just type it, type in the title and the description right there. It's no big deal. And I can just make sure that it all looks nice. And then I would generate the tags and use that. Another thing that's also really helpful on the site is there is a bit of a resource section. So it does explain a lot of the parts like, oh, you know, your description shouldn't be this big. Your title shouldn't be this big, but it shouldn't be too short, et cetera, et cetera. It does a full explanation. So for anyone who has a hands-on customer, you know, if you send them there and you say, hey, take a look at your website, you know, just type in your URL at the top, take a look at your website that I've built, see if you like it. They can actually go in and be like, oh, that's what the description does. That's what this does. That's for more of a hands-on customer, but sometimes you have those and it's just nice to have a resource where you can just send them to it and you don't have to worry about explaining all that stuff yourself. So go check out metatags.io. There will be a link in the description uh, for this tool. And as far as I'm aware, it's completely free. I've been using it for the last couple of days and I really enjoy it. Uh, unless Mike has any comment about this useful resource, I think we can move on to the to the web news because it is a lengthy web news this week. Yeah, uh, not no real comments. Uh, I've never never used the meta tags, but it sounds pretty cool. I remember uh, being a little bit of a headache with uh, HTML the Things site when I was working on that. Uh, so maybe it could have helped at least get uh, ge- generate some for for us. But yeah, I'll definitely check it out in the future. So thanks for that. Alrighty, well, let's jump right into web news then. So, web news, laser focus in a scatterbrained industry. So, this web news is more of just a straight-up conversation driver. I don't really have an answer to this, but I think it's something that 
we can all relate to. And I'm going to get into this. It's about a page of uh, notes here, so I'm just going to kind of start reading now, and then we'll Mike and I'll have a discussion as per the usual. So if you work for a big company or listen to business gurus, laser focus is a commonly used phrase that has essentially become a buzzword of sorts. It's generally used to describe the need for a team to focus on something important, such as a new project that's coming up or a meeting uh, or meeting a very important deadline. Um, oftentimes it's used to describe the general direction of a business, um, especially if a business is new or is evolving with the times. The administration will generally ask for the, for the staff to remain laser focused on their new movement or business strategy and to ensure continued success. This laser focus is also applied to beginner entrepreneurs when discussing the prospect of success. Gurus will often talk up working in their preferred industry, but then, you know, as you start to learn a little bit, they'll bring it back down to earth and say things like, hey, this is not a get rich quick thing. You need to stay laser focused on your goal to succeed. There's no other way around it. So at the end of the day, being laser focused on a goal is sound advice, but when it comes to complex projects, that laser focused goal has to be more general and can easily lead you down the path uh, to distraction and eventual failure. The website industry is all over the place when it comes to almost every single aspect. So a couple of examples, prices are wildly different from agency to agency for the exact same product. Building out projects can take several different skill sets or investments into services that are essentially outsource contractors. So for example, maybe you design and develop the whole site yourself, but then you want to make sure that your customer gets good SEO result and you're not really specialized in that. So you hire an SEO specialist just for that project, basically subcontracting out that part of the project, and then they can help optimize that Google search result, that type of thing. And sometimes businesses don't have any branding ready at all, which results in the need for illustrators or other related artists to make up logos and color schemes and the whole thing. And don't forget about the fact that websites are always online so when they go down someone needs to support them pulling your attention away from new projects that you have on the go you're always kind of brought back to those old projects you're not generally you're not really closing the book on them forever um when you're starting out by yourself or in a small team or in a small team you'll inevitably have to become the jack of all trades in order to keep uh, everything running smoothly especially when you don't have the capital to hire individuals to run each aspect of the business individually so herein lies the question how do you remain laser focused when the industry you're in is so scatterbrained and one possible solution might be to make the goal more general but if the goal is just to make money which is a very general goal then there's way too many solutions to that problem that will hardly result in any sort of laser focus so we kind of suffer from this issue constantly. We'll say something like, let's just focus on money for the next few months. And then before we know it, we got three app concepts, some marketing plans for client work, and nothing actually ever comes to fruition or gets done. And even no BS news was completed for the purposes of the code challenge, but then kind of has been, hasn't been published further than that uh, because of another possible money, money-making opportunity came knocking with all this other client work. And of course, you have to do your own priorities, but it'd be nice to kind of have that project in its completion just done and not forgotten, but done and actually published. So herein lies the question, and I'll kind of let Mike kind of comment on this. How do you remain remain focused in the web development slash design industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, the, currently with uh, the client work that I'm doing right now, that's been a big a big uh, stress point probably um so essentially having to like you know do some project management you have to be a project manager having to do some uh you know client client meetings you have to be able to present to the client you have to be able to talk to the clients you have to know what you're talking about uh doing the actual development of the of the project and also supporting your team uh teaching your team some some skills here and there um yeah, it's been it's been tough. Like, and it's it's a good question. Like, I I didn't even I don't even cons- like I didn't even think of it as a hindrance. But really, in in a lot of under other industries that aren't as scatterbrained as web development, you're you can focus on one thing and you can maybe become like a big expert at that one thing. And uh, but with with at least where we are right now in the industry, and I don't I don't see it changing anytime soon. I feel like you have to be a jack of all trades. I feel like you have to put on many hats and work work through it. Um what I do now is I really try to separate all of the my tasks. So if it's a project management task, I do them all in a bulk kind of session. If it's development, I try to sit down and develop. You know what I mean? So I try to I really like 
when I'm doing a task, I try to focus on that task. And if it's, you know, if it's encompassing um, one of these skills that we have to know, like a management skill or something like that, I try to really focus on that skill. So if I, if I know that a meeting's coming up, then I not only focus it on the meeting, I usually have a good prep session before the meeting to A, get my mind out of a developer standpoint because when you're a developer and you're thinking in development terms, you're going to talk very much in, you know, in, in talk that maybe in a meeting, a lot of the, your clients won't understand or a lot of the, uh, a lot of the players in, in that meeting won't understand. So you have to really get, get the knowledge down to, down to their level, get the terminology down to their level. So I like to do a lot, a good amount of prep before a meeting to make sure that I'm on that level. I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what the meeting is about. Um, I don't like to go in nervous to a meeting. I pretty much never have that happen. I'm usually fairly prepared. Uh, that's kind of one of my, one of my things like, um, in, in, I, I remember in school, uh, I used to do a lot of my groups, uh, group presentations. I used to be the one to go up there and it's just because like, I would do enough prep work. I wouldn't go overboard, but I do enough prep work where I wouldn't be super nervous. And as long as that was the case, then I didn't mind, you know, talking in front of the class. If, and there were certain situations, obviously, where you don't have the time to do that prep work. If I was in the state of like not knowing what I'm talking about and I went up there, it was a disaster. And I've had that happen before. And that's just like, oh, I don't want to relive that again. But pretty much I very much try to avoid not being prepared for meetings. So that's one thing for like, just as an example of that. Um, then there's just development. I like to, before development, I like to kind of, if I, if I've done, you know, project management before or task management before, I like to kind of stand up, take a walk, get some, get a coffee, sit down, and then my development begins. So I like to kind of separate my, my different skill sets, I think, uh, or my, my, my different, um, focuses, uh, with, with certain aspects of my day. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question too much, Matt, but uh, it's definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from with this. Uh, and yeah, just wonder what your feedback on all that is. Well, yeah, that's kind of interesting the, with the separation thing, because I find myself, I find myself kind of doing the same thing. Like, even if I'll, even if I'll like do something really quick. So for example, maybe I'll sit down at my desk and maybe there's, three tasks that a customer has asked me to do. One of them is like really easy. And the next one is I got to like dive into the CSS hard. Even if it, even if it's like the first 10, 15 minutes at the desk, I'll do, you know, I'll spend that 15 minutes fixing that easy thing. And then I will just kind of get up and just be like standing around. And I'll literally like even just beside my desk. Sometimes maybe I'll get a coffee, but I'll generally just maybe go on social media at that point or something just for a couple of minutes, just to separate, separate that thing. Cause like it's, it's not so much a, a question of multitasking. It's also like your brain is changing mentality. Like if, if you had a, if you had 10 easy tasks that were all similar for 10 different clients, that's not really that hard when it's like, Oh, do this small thing and then dive hard into something else. That's like a unrelated or a loosely related topic. You know, it's hard to get your brain to like, like click into that other mode. So you kind of need that separation. So I think that's actually sound advice. I never even really, picked up on the fact that I was doing that until you mentioned that. That's kind of interesting. Um, Cause I find myself getting up a lot and sometimes I'll be like, man, I'm wasting a lot of time, but it's like at the same time, if I just sit there, I'm also slower in general. So I'm not actually wasting time. If that makes sense. Um, and it's not like I'm getting up for an hour or anything, but yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I think it's almost like, a, it's almost like an instinctive thing too. Cause I, I, like you said, I don't even think about it as well. Like I don't think about like, how am I going to separate this work from this work? Really? It just happens. Like every time, that I have, like, you know, if I'm, for instance, answering emails and I finish answering emails and I have to switch to doing development, I don't just like open up my my VS Code and start coding. I never, I, I don't think I've ever done that. What I do is I a like you said, go on Twitter, or Reddit, or something for like a few minutes, and then I go and start coding, or I get up and you know get a get a drink, go grab a grab a coffee, maybe have some lunch or something like that. So I always I pretty much always separate every single one of my major tasks throughout the day. Um, and that, I think that helps. I think that that's a, that's a big help in, in what I've been doing. I mean, lately I've been doing a lot of uh, task management, like I was saying at the start of this episode, and I've been doing a lot of, you know, inputting uh, to do's and stuff into, into my to, to do manager, which is to doist. Um, 
And I do that as well. I treat that as its own kind of, you know, task as well. Like I can't sit there and code, then go into the to-do list, do to-do list management, and then go right back to coding. I can't do, I can't do context switching on that level. What I do is I, you know, finish my coding. And then before I go to bed, I will go into my to-do manager, see what I've done, uh, you know, check off everything that I've done. If I figure something out before I go to bed, I'll write it into that to-do manager, like what I need to do for the next day. I'll set my goals and then I'll go to bed. So like I very much compartmentalize every single one of my major tasks throughout the day. Uh, Again, without really thinking about it, it's just how, how I've been working. And I I would say I do something similar. Um, So like, I mean, we both come from an IT background, but I was, I kind of like latched on to how IT manages their tasks and a lot of the things that like even if you send it to me i'm always just like oh send it like a commission and i'll add it like a ticket um and i don't have a ticketing software per se but i treat everything sort of like that and i just kind of go through and mentally i'll be like okay this is a priority this can be done real quick even though it's not a priority let's do that you know this is a priority let's maybe do this before this etc etc and i kind of do everything like a ticket and i'll just sort of check it uh, check it off if I have it written down or I will jot it down in my logbook if I'm just, you know, taking logs that day, whatever. But I treat a lot of stuff like an IT, like IT would a ticket really. And I just kind of go through and be like, okay, this doing this, then now doing this, now doing this, now doing this. And I'm doing it such that I don't care necessarily about the big picture. And I, I'm not saying that I like literally don't care about the big picture, but in terms of, oh, this is going to be a busy day. I don't going to like stress myself out about where the project is as it sits. I need to do these maybe four things today. So I'm just going to do those like tickets. Okay, this ticket's done. That one, that one, that one. And then it's just done and I'm not worrying or focusing on the fact of like, oh my God, like this project's not done. I just do those four tasks. Okay, those are done, moving on kind of thing. Um, so I don't know whether like maybe maybe I should be jotting some of that down or like what or I mean, I'm sure there's someone better at organizing than us, certainly. But that is one thing I do do as well. Um, another thing that I will say that's kind of a pitfall in terms of this industry, and like we've fallen into it several times, is the fact that it's too hard to chase something, and it it's it's difficult when it's not as easy as it appears. If that makes sense. So it's like we'll be in. Let's say we like we start working in Webflow, and the you know I'm I'm exploring Webflow. I'm learning it right. So I'm exploring all the avenues of it. You know, looking at the community, checking everything out, and then I go, oh, they they have like templates for sale, and there's like, a need for like Webflow templates. Oh, let, let's make those. And so it's just like it's it's an easy decision to make. And so you like d- invest like a small amount of time into it, which is still wasted time because it's like you invest a small amount of time into it. You realize, oh, this is like this. You know, maybe no one's gonna buy my template. And I'm just not going to do it right now because I have client work that's going to pay me guaranteed. So you kind of back off. And even though it was only a little bit amount of time, a little bit of time spent, it's still like wasted time. And that's sort of where those really general goals come into play. Because I'll like, you know, we'll go into Webflow, for example, um, with the with the thought of like, oh, this is going to be a really great editor. Let's invest a bunch of time into learning it. And at the same time, you're thinking, well, if I'm learning all this, I could make some more money off of this, which is absolutely true. But you get blinded by the fact of like, you know, a template is essentially just a website in this particular instance. It's essentially just a website without the without the client calling you and without the content management for the most part. You're just putting in your own random content. And so you get blinded by the fact of like, oh, there's money on the table. Let's go get it. When in reality, you really should be like, oh, you know, let's balance the client work and maybe when that's done you know i'll add this to my wish list of possible things i could do with webflow that type of thing um and that's where you get pulled in multiple directions i think yeah no i i agree uh it's it's tough to go down a path like sometimes you get gung-ho about something really quickly and you waste a significant amount of time on it and it turns out into nothing and I unfortunately that happens quite often, um, especially in our industry with all the changing technologies out there. Uh, but I think it's kind of one of those like you kind of you have to cut it off at some point, and you have to know when to do that, and that comes with experience. Um, it's a tough one. It, it is a tough. the The other tough thing is like getting getting sidetracked. Uh, like say, let's say you're in you know one of your one of your tasks, and like let's say you're developing. And you get a unsolicited call or, you know, from a client, those kinds of things really 
really sidetrack me. So, um, and it, like, I, I, like I said before, I like to prepare for my meetings. I like to be, you know, well aware of what we're going to be talking about, or at least somewhat aware of what we're going to be talking about. So I know where we're coming from. When I get a call in the middle of my programming, I am usually not prepared for it. So I, sometimes it's, it, it it's a difficult, it, it's a difficult thing. So I, mostly always answer them uh and most of some of those conversations don't really lead to a good resolution in my opinion like if someone were to schedule a call with me i think that would have been much more efficient uh because i could spend the time to understand what their problem is so just like you know a simple a simple email let's schedule a call for later on and then have a call rather than just you know call me uh randomly throughout the day and ask me about a very specific thing uh, especially if it's someone that I haven't talked to, a client that I haven't talked to in a few months, and I'm not obviously fully invested in their project currently at the time. I need some time to rev myself back up and understand their project. Obviously, an email at that point to let's schedule a call would be much more beneficial because A, I could rev myself back up again, prep for the meeting like I always do. Uh, and we can have a very like, you know, good back and forth discussion about the problem that they're having or the thing that they want to implement or whatever, uh, an unsolicited call will catch me off guard most of the time. And I won't be able to provide the feedback that I generally like to provide for any sort of questions or any sort of, uh, problems that people are having. So those are the kinds of things that, uh, can really almost, I wouldn't say derail my day, but really like take me out of the the rhythm of programming. Uh, sometimes I do put my phone on silent when I really need to get features done. I don't like to do it very often because sometimes, obviously there's situations where a client, like clients should be, should be calling uh, and should have conversations and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm open to that for the most part. Uh, but again, if it's something very specific about a project that I worked on months ago, perhaps even, even weeks ago in this industry, like it, it, I'm working on so many different projects at the same time that context switching is a very mind intensive thing for me. Uh, A little, a quick, you know, email to say like, let's schedule a call for even like 20 minutes from then would would be easier for me to handle uh, than an unsolicited phone call randomly throughout the day. Um, Yeah, I don't know how you feel about those. I'm sure you get those quite often. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those things that's a, it's a really good point is, is sometimes it's like, it's like money calling really you know you think like yeah. oh you know a client's calling they maybe they want maybe they have a new venture maybe they just want something quickly fixed maybe they're even talking to you about a billing concern you know and so it's literally money calling and you think to yourself well you know i need to you know get, obviously have my revenue maintain or i need to maintain my revenue so you you specifically like think like okay i'll focus on this right now but you don't realize how much you're kind of knocked out of the groove of stuff like it, it's so if you notice, like if if you track your work at all, um, speaking more toward the audience, because I know that I know that we've had this discussion before, but it's like, it's, it's like you, you can finish like, let's say nine hours of work sometimes in four hours. And then other times it's like, you sit there for nine hours and you finish four hours of work. And it's just because mm-hmm. you, you're in like the groove. So you're just like, okay, this one, bang, 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 bang. And to finish all these tasks. Sometimes you have like those four tasks, let's say four tasks scheduled for the day. You finish that in the morning or you finish that in your first, you know, four hours of work. And you're like, oh, I might as well do another four hours, you know, to get ahead. And it's and oftentimes it's because, you know, sometimes you're lucky and things don't go wrong. But other times it's because, you know, you, you're just in the groove and you're really going quickly and it's hard to get in that groove. And those client calls are necessary, but they also oftentimes knock you um, off of the off of the um, off of almost say off your high horse. That doesn't make any sense off. Like you're, you're, you're out of the groove now, you know, you get pulled out of that mindset and now it's like hard to get back into the groove and really try to finish some stuff. I I think, I think uh, I agree with you in that one sense where you were saying you sometimes turn off your phone. I will do the same sometimes. Like I will choose to be like, okay, this like needs to get done today. And if I don't get it done today, I know it's going to be like a panic fest next week or whatever. So I am not answering calls because I know that, you know, missing one call is going to be generally less less uh, hurtful toward to, to the business than me being like, okay, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm I'll just keep taking calls and then I'm n- just not going to finish that task today. You know, finishing that task. If that is the priority, sometimes needs to take priority over a phone call. Cause that person can always leave a voicemail. You can always call back that type of thing. Um, and if it's really an emergency, sometimes they'll email you, whatever. 
and it sucks to miss those emails. But at the same time, it's like you don't want to piss off the client you're working for, you know, with that rush task and the client that's trying to call you. You know, you don't want to piss everybody off. So sometimes you just need to say, okay, that's it. I'm, you know, do your own priority the way the way you normally would. But just, you know, you really need to have that priority train. But that being said, having a bad experience with that is really hard to turn back from. Like, for example, if like we, if you and I both decided for whatever reason that we weren't going to answer calls that day and then something major went down that day, that's really, that's really not good. And that would maybe turn us off to doing that. And I'm sure that that's happened to people, which is why I bring it up. You know, I'm sure it's happened to people in IT where they're like, I'm, you know, I'm spinning up a new project. I'm doing this. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to check my email. And then it ends up being a major incident and some sort of manager or some sort of administrative team has been like, yo, you got to fix this. You got to fix this. Where are you? And yeah. it just, it really sucks. And I, that, that type of stuff, I don't have a solution for. And that's why I think this web news is more of a question in a lot of cases than it is an answer. You know, we have our answers. We have our stuff that we've learned as we've been discussing this whole time. But it's difficult to balance that, I think. I don't know whether you've yeah. had experience like that, but. Yeah, so, uh, and that's that's the difficulty of wearing many hats, I think. I, 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 one thing that, you know, sometimes I envy is is the developers that can just go to work. Um, and in in their case, I don't see any issue with them turning off their phone. If they're working on one project, they're working for a company on one project, and they have like an in- an in-project communication system and all that, um, I would probably turn off my phone as soon as I got to work. That's what I would do. Uh, the problem is, is that we are a development company and we own the company. We do the development and we do the company management. Uh, and us missing calls is, you know, very could be very detrimental, not only to like an IT issue, but it could also be detrimental to a missed opportunity. So let's say, a someone finds our phone number and wants a site they could call us and if we you know turn off our phone and miss that call it's uh, you know first impressions are very important they could think that we're too busy they could think that uh, we're screening their calls whatever they they have their own right to think whatever they want uh, some people are very adamant about being uh, listened to right away uh, a lot of people are reasonable and they understand when you don't get a call obviously then you call them back and you say that but but sometimes it's not sometimes you you have the situation where first impressions mean a lot and you've missed a call and that's it that you lost the opportunity um so you got to weigh weigh those things uh so like like matt said like i've said sometimes it you have to turn the phone off you have to focus but i do it very rarely like i think i've only i think i've done it once in this past month where i've actually turned the phone on silent to work uh, i generally will leave it on as much as I possibly can, just in case something like that happens. And I'll generally answer almost every call just because we are wearing that business owner hat and we have to take all the opportunities that we can get. We're very much in the stage of being able to pivot into whatever section of the business we want. We even had a discussion right before this podcast about like all the opportunities that are coming up to us and the fact that we're, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket. And uh, with that kind of, mindset comes the the need for being able to put on many hats the need for being able to project manage the need for being able to develop the need for being able to answer emails uh task manage uh find do some finances do some taxes like doing all that all at the same time switching throughout the day so i think that this web news really really uh, there isn't a solution for it i think that that's this is the the negative like this is one of the hard hardships of being a business owner uh thankfully we, there's two of us which is already an advantage for a lot of people i'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that are uh themselves just freelancers and uh you're technically if you're a freelancer you are a business of yourself you're freelancing your own time and you have to manage that uh depending on what you do uh but uh it's it would be a little bit harder at least like you and i can kind of pass you know some responsibilities back and forth on each other depending on how busy we are like right now you're doing a lot of the business uh relations stuff which is helping me a lot to focus on the client work uh the big contracts that we have which helps I, it would be a lot harder obviously if i was alone uh just doing everything all like everything that's business related on my own even without any of other projects uh to talk about but even just managing the business so 
it, it it's a situation to a situation kind of thing um don't think there's a solution for it. i think you just kind of have to you really have to manage your time i i i would recommend for for you matt to try to do some task management like try to try to use a uh task manager uh, whether that be just a to-do list or like an Asana type tax manager and just try to like fully stick to it. I'm trying right now. Um, and I, I, I haven't been very good at it. I would say, uh, I think I'm getting a little bit better, uh, at being consistent with the task management. And I think it is like, it is making me more productive throughout the day and it is making me more focused on the current task at hand. Whereas without the task management, I was a little bit more scatterbrained, if that makes sense. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that as well, actually, because um, one of the things I was actually thinking of, because I saw an advertisement for it on YouTube, was that maybe, uh, especially since we're considering possibly hiring someone this year, um, maybe we need to start standardizing a lot of our tasks. And I was thinking I was thinking of that myself because I saw an advertisement for, um, I always forget the acronym. I think it's called the CRM. Um, I always forget mm-hmm. the thing. I, I know what it is, but like. Um, custom relations manager. That's it. Yeah, I always customer forget the. I always forget the the acronym for that. Um, customer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so th- th- that's what it is. And and what I was thinking is like maybe we need to start standardizing everything. And there's like some free ones out there, um, especially free to start, right? Stuff like that. Uh, and I was kind of thinking to myself like maybe we need to have like a standard quoting document. You know, we kind of have a standard mm-hmm. procedure where we quote people, but we don't have a standard quoting document per se. Um. We, maybe we need to have that. Maybe we need to have like a standardized, like like something we could teach to someone. And the way I was thinking of it the other day was like, if we have a, if it's if it's so easy that it's teachable, then we'll fly through it because we made it. Like we made the yep. procedure. Um, and that's what I was kind of I don't know. I was just kind of like spitballing my own head. Um, but that that's kind of one of the things I was thinking of because like we should really like for example like we use Trello. Trello is extremely viable to Hat specifically because. We we put all the links in there, or, you know, we have all our references in there. Um, and so if we need to pull up something about episode 19, you know, some random episode, we have all the links right there. And you can just go back there and you can see them all. And you can link to any of the services, make sure it's working. Let's say someone's complaining about it not working on Google Play Music specifically. We could just quickly go in there and, and hit that, no problem. But if somebody were to say, hey, can you go look at my old quote? I don't know where that is. I don't. You know what I mean? Um, well... I mean, we could we could find it, yeah. we could find it, but it's not as instant. Yeah, it isn't. Yeah, we we do need. I, th- I think you're right. We do need some more uh, to work on some procedures and stuff like that. Like, because like you said, if we hire someone, what <laughs> we're gonna spend more time training them than actually getting any use from them. And so, yeah, we need to we need to standardize some stuff. I yeah, because it's not it's not a bad idea, especially if we ever have time. The problem is we never have time to put these standards. We never have time to do on any of these things that we say. And this is another one of those things like the scatterbrain thing and the the business business owner thing where you just don't have time to do uh, business management stuff that you should be doing all along. Um, maybe it, we're just in that phase right now or we're just kind of growing pretty quickly and uh, our, you know, everything's on our plate. But we for sure need to somehow manage manage that time a little bit better. I'm trying really hard to kind of compartmentalize and try to get as much out of a day as I possibly can at this point, because I just don't have choice. Uh, hopefully that, that will, once the client work dies down a little bit, that will come back to me putting more time into stuff like that, like, uh, creating systems and management for our company. Yeah. That's the plan at least. And like to build on that is I think that when you're saying, you know, get the most out of a day, it'd be really nice to have some stuff be automated, you know, automate some stuff. There's, there's, uh, I remember talking to, to a specialist in this area before, uh, a few months ago, and he was saying that you can get a document, uh, like a word processor that has like modular pieces. That would be huge for us. You know, you make a standard quote, like you make, you make a quote that you're, that you like. And so, you, you know, kind of delete all the specific customer data. And then you modularize it such that it goes into this, I don't even know what it's called anymore, but this like modular word processor. And then you have that. Um, and then you have that and you just kind of go with it. Uh, also managing a customer through a fixed procedure would be super nice. Like whether you assign them to, you know, like I think we mentioned this before where some customers, they are, you know, they want to go quick. They want to fast track. So we won't do a prototype. We'll just do a 
wireframe, especially if it's something really simple, whereas others want the whole treatment. And so, you know, that's, they'll, they would be put into a different procedure and we should standardize those procedures. But you're right. It's like, I don't have time to standardize. I want to get this done. Okay. It's done. Oh, someone else called, you know, it's not, it's not so easy. So I don't, you're right. I don't think there is a solution. I think this might just be straight up growing pains. Um, that's a really good question. And, but I, and I don't know, I mean, short of listening to, you know, business podcasts all over the place. Cause I don't think anything specifically named this heck, this episode isn't even specifically named this, but like where you would find advice, particularly, it's not like I've looked it up, but like, you know, it's a good question and every business is unique. So even that, but I don't know, maybe, maybe a CRM is something I'll be looking at. Um, and maybe try to standardize things as I do them. Like, Oh, next time I do a quote, let's just standardize it. You know, let's take that extra two hours and standardize this. Uh, let's, and then, Oh, we're taking this, this customer through the procedure. I'll spend an extra two hours and let's procedure, like put this into, make this a type of procedure that we use on a quick customer. And then the next time there's like a more detailed customer, detail oriented customer. Oh, that's, you know, procedure two or something. And maybe I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Because honestly, like our episodes, um, I mean, you don't, you don't handle the episodes for this podcast, but for example, Th- these episodes are in a particular, all my media is in a particular folder structure. It's named in a particular way. It's named all the same thing. All our Trello entries are done in a particular like fashion. They're na- labeled in a particular way. Uh, social media management, same thing. That's all in done in Trello. That's done in a, again, a particular way. That's all standardized. It's not written down, but it is standardized. And so that would be something like that. There, there's the building block. Cause look how quickly we bang out an episode, you know, it takes a while to record and all that, but we've had emergency episodes where it's like, Oh, we're too busy. Let's just record and then immediately publish essentially. Yep. So maybe we need to start applying that type of thing to this, you know, we'll kind of see there, but, mm-hmm. um, I think that's ultimately the question. And I think it'd be really good for any of you guys in the audience to kind of, you know, talk and maybe if, whether you've been through growing pains or whether you're worried about them or whether, you think that this, that we just need to do something different, whatever that is, whether that be get a CRM. Um, what's that? What's the acronym again mean, Mike? So it's customer relations management. Okay. I always think it's content every time because it's CMS. Like I always think CMS. Uh, so, like, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, I, I know that's a weird quirk of mine, but I always, I don't know why that is, but anyway, so maybe we need to do a CRM. Maybe we need to do whatever. Um, and you'll got, you guys will be with us on that journey. We'll be talking about that on the podcast, maybe writing some pieces on it, whatever, whatever comes up. Um, but I think that getting any insight from you guys would be super valuable. You know, you can message us on any of the socials or whatever, and that'd be, that'd be cool advice. You know, what, what have you guys done to deal with any sort of growing pains? What is your plan to deal with it? If you haven't dealt with it yet, that type of thing. And what do you have any advice for us? Like, you know, what, what's your advice? Uh, are we doing something wrong? Are we doing it right? Is this normal? What is it? Right. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I have thinking. I have any more comment unless you do, Mike. Yeah. No. I think we can. I think we can wrap it up. Alrighty. Well, let's run the old conclusion then. So, thanks for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can also follow us on the socials via at HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, we are at HTML Everything. We are on Medium. We are also on GitHub. And make sure you like or make sure you'd like to support us. <clears throat> remember we are on patreon i don't know where i, I don't know why i changed the intro to that remember we are on patreon via patreon.com slash html all the things tech check out the tiers and give that a go feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on and we are signing off yeah.